So this is a reminder. You'll you'll notice on the syllabus our last class meeting is on Thursday the 9th, and it says project presentations. And so um, even though you won't have sort of the final results of your project, you will have done <coughs> enough to sort of be able to give a verbal presentation of, of what your project is. And so the best way to, to think about the presentation is uh, the project is broken up into four or five sections, like the intro and theory, um, the data that you're using, like describing the variables, um, and then sort of the analysis that you're going to do, and then the results in your conclusion. And so um, the idea is to, in a sense, present to the, to the class as if you're presenting to people who didn't know anything about um, sociology and sociological theory, didn't know anything about the GSS, um, didn't know anything about the variables that you're using, <clears throat> and basically say, you know, here, here's the research question um, that I was wanting to tackle, and, he, and um, here's the theories that I was using to sort of select um, the variables that I thought were going to be associated with this. Here's what these variables mean. Um, when I ran, when I, the pre preliminary analysis showed that, you know, there's a strong association in this direction with this, for example, if, you know, sort of explain what the strong association means. Um, and in, in a sense, kind of saying that this either validates or invalidates um, the hypothesis or the, the, the hy my hypothesis or the theories that are out there. Brittany? Do you have PowerPoint for that? Or uh, just like talk about it? It's up, it's up to you. Some people do better with PowerPoint. Um, some people, you know, especially if you're going to be talking about numbers, mm -hmm. you know, it's helpful to, to have a PowerPoint or something up there. Um, and so it's it's five percent of your grade, uh, or you know the final grade. So the final project is worth thirty percent. Twenty five percent is the written piece. Um, but also I find that sort of by putting together some sort of presentation actually helps then writing the final piece. So it sort of forces you to organize everything together in sort of a coherent flow. Um, so that you won't be graded on the precision of your findings, like if, you know, between your presentation and the final paper you submit, the findings change, that's completely fine. You will know sort of what the correlations are, the direction of the correlations and stuff like that, but sort of your final analysis might change or something. So what you're more so graded on is um, conveying to the, you know, clearly conveying what your project is, why, why you selected the variables you selected, and interpreting the results. Um, and so I think that there'll be, I'll get an exact time for you, but I'm guessing like 10 minutes. So that's that. And then the other is um, for Monday at the beginning of the class, having your, your theories that you're going to be using for the, the variables that you're selecting, uh, the theory and the hypothesis. So for the review for the exam, um, I'm going to, I'll walk, do you guys have questions that you're wanting to ask, or is it better if I kind of walk through stuff? So um, the first thing I, I want to sort of highlight is uh, the, the two methods that we've been learning um, for calculating confidence intervals and the two methods for doing hypothesis tests. And it's important to sort of know 
the differences between the two, but also how they're tied together, or how they're related. So for, for calculating confidence interval, um, the only difference in the two methods is how we estimate the standard error of the test statistic. So that's sort of, throughout this, this whole course, the, um, the, the critical unknown value is the standard error of our test statistic. Um, so like we, we have our sample, we know, um, so let's say we're doing mean, we know the mean value of our sample, we know the standard deviation of our sample, but what we don't know is the standard error of our sample. And that's critical for doing confidence interval and hypothesis tests and all of that. Um, can someone take, take a stab at interpreting what standard error even is? Like when we talk about standard error, what is that measuring? <coughs> yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. And so the, the key thing and sort of it's, this is critical in statistics because we only have a sample from the population. And if, and if we sort of re-pulled from the, the population a new sample, that sample mean, the new sample mean is going to be slightly different from our original sample. And so we'll, what we need to find out is how much those sample means would vary from sample to sample. And that's, you know, we've seen that from whether we're doing sample means all the way up to regression, that because we're only taking a sample from the population, we need to take into account how much that sample would vary from sample to sample. So, and, and that's what standard <coughs> error measures. And so if you think about it, it's sort of um, standard error is sort of measuring how much error is in our sample. Um, so that's one way of thinking about it. And so then the way there's there's um, there's we've learned two methods for um, calculating the standard error. Um, before I do that, there's there's a, a third method, which is just simply doing it, like taking a thousand samples. Um, so I guess. Technically, we know three three methods. Um, we probably would never do it in practice, but it's it's important to know that you actually could go out and take multiple samples, take multiple sample means, and there's uh, uh, characteristics associated with that approach as well. So, but what what we learned was bootstrap simulations, which simulates taking multiple samples, and, and the key a key thing with bootstrap is. Um, where are we getting where are we getting our data to do bootstrap simulations or, from our observed sample and so um, let's see if I uh, so we get it from our observed sample so let's say we're talking we, we have sample data and we're getting uh, <coughs> our, our test statistic is sample mean and then we do bootstrap simulations What's going to be, and so the bootstrap simulations is going to construct a sampling distribution of sample means. What's going to be the mean of that distribution, the mean value of that distribution? So we have a, uh, we have a sample, and this is the, the x-bar value. And then we're going to do, this, so this is one sample, so we have our x-bar, we're going to do Bootstrap simulations, which basically pulls from our pulls data from our observed sample 
and does it with replacement to generate a new sample. And then we're going to do that a thousand times such that there's a distribution of sample statistics, a distribution of sample means. So what would what would be the center of our what? Uh, y zero. Okay. Well, let's say let's say that this the center point of this sample was six. So the mean of of our sample, the mean value of our sample is six, and we're going to take multiple samples from our observed sample. On average, what is the what's the average or the mean value of all those thousands of samples going to be? Six. This is important to sort of have this down. Um, Q equals 6.1. Um, if, if we were going to, um, so this is bootstrap sampling. If we were going to do the method of just physically going out and taking a thousand observed samples that are, you know, same sample size as this one, and we get, and then we calculate the, the sample statistic for the thousand that we actually physically went out into the population and did, what would the, the mean value of this distribution be? Okay, so so yeah, it's 6.1, and the main thing is is that um, this is typically not known because we, but we just you don't you don't know it. That's why we're doing the the analysis. But if you did sort of go out and do enough, you know, enough samples, and really doing enough samples means you're sampling the whole population. The 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 mean of the sampling distribution is going to be the mean of the population. Whereas this one, when you do bootstrapping, you're sort of constrained by your original sample of what, what you have as your mean. But you know that that's pretty, a pretty good estimate of the population mean. But they, they, do, they will produce slightly different results. And it's important to sort of know what the bootstrap sample is actually doing. Um, and so in regards to standard error, it, you assess the variability of the test statistics, um, i.e. It's, it's standard error, by creating many bootstrap test statistics. So you're going to get, this is going to be a distribution of many sample means, and we want to know uh, the spread of this distribution of sample means, how they vary by sample, from sample to sample. And so if we wanted to know um, the spread of this distribution, what what is what's, what is it that we need to calculate? Or what? Uh huh. And it's really it's it's the standard deviation of that. Of that. So then, so that's with with bootstrap simulations. The way we calculate the standard error for this sample is is the standard deviation or the spread of our bootstrap sampling distribution. Uh, so then formulas based on theoretical distributions, the way that that works is there's mathematical theory that says for, for a, you know, if you have a large enough sample size, um, the, they, they can predict what the distribution of sample statistics is going to be. And they say, we know that if you have a large enough sample size, the distribution of these sample statistics will be a normal distribution and it'll be it'll be 
I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence that the distribution uh, from the bootstrap simulation looks just the same as the distribution from what theory would predict that it would look like. It's a normal distribution where um, it has a mean and a, no, and a known um, standard deviation. Like it oh, actually, I think that's <coughs> so. It it's gonna it's gonna follow a normal distribution, and that allows us to then say, well, then we can use specific formulas to calculate the standard error. And that's where that one page on the review lecture just has, here's all the formulas for calculating the standard error. And it's mainly, it's, it's solely because of mathematical theory says that the distribution will be more or less like this. And if it's like this, then we can use these formulas. Um, but if the, the sampling distribution isn't like this, like if you have a really small sample size or other sort of conditions aren't met, then you can't use the formulas. You'd have to, you would have to do bootstrap. Um, but, but for the situations that most of them that we look at, it meets all the conditions. And so that's why you can either use the bootstrapping or the formulas based on the theoretical distributions. So you use a formula to calculate the standard error of the test statistic and then use the normal or the t-distribution to find z star or t star. So, so really, in, in um, bootstrap sampling uh, or bootstrap simulations, we don't use any formulas. There's no, um, there's no formulas for calculating sort of what the standard error is because all you're doing, you just have um, a series of a thousand sample statistics and you just calculate the standard deviation of that distribution. And I'll walk through more of sort of what that, the implications of that. Um, but this also, this also relates with doing um, hypothesis tests. We learned two ways to conduct a hypothesis test and obtain a p-value. And again, it's um, <coughs> the, the related difference is in how we estimate the distribution of the test statistic assuming the null is true. So it's with confidence intervals, we're doing bootstrap sampling because we want to know what the standard error is. With hypothesis tests, you're always wanting to know what's the distribution of values when the null is true. And so there's, there's two ways to do that as well. And one is the randomization test via simulations. And that's, again, where we, we in a sense, reshuffled the deck, the values, and reassigned um, the outcome of interest to different people, which would basically say the outcome that we're interested in doesn't have, isn't affected by in the in independent variable that we're looking at. And so it's sort of creating a simulation or a scenario where the null hypothesis is true, and then you run that simulation a thousand times to sort of get a distribution of what the value of the test statistic would be when the null is true, or when there's no effect. Um, so you, you directly simulate the test statistic we would observe just by random chance if the null is true. Then the other way, again, there's certain properties such that there's we kind of know what the distribution 
of test statistics would be if the null is true, it's going to typically follow a normal distribution. So that's why, again, we, we can use formulas um, to calculate what, you know, how to calculate a p-value for our hypothesis test. Um, and that's where we use, use a formula to calculate the test statistic based on its theoretical distribution when the null is true. And that's, so for the, the second half of this class, what we've been doing is, is the formulas. So really, a lot of the tests that we did in the first half of the class where you just sort of look at the um, bootstrap sample sampling distribution or you look at the randomization sampling distribution, you just look at it and you find the middle 95% or you find the P, the proportion of values as extreme as your test statistic. With the second half of class, what we've been doing is using the formulas um, to calculate, to obtain the p-value for our, for our test statistic. So um, the pros and cons of, of using simulation methods, um, I won't go through this, but you kind of know like there's some benefits to um, bootstrap to the simulation methods, and there's some benefits to using formulas. Um, so, um, and then sort of conditions where you would sort of be constrained in which options you can use. If the sample size is small, you have to use the simulation methods because the, the theoretical distribution doesn't, it doesn't meet those conditions. Um, and if the sample size is large, you can use whatever method you prefer. They're, all, they're both going to produce the same results um, or more or less the same results. Um, so it's redundant to use both methods unless you want to check your answers and make sure that you're doing okay. As far as accuracy, um, the more simulations you do, the more accurate um, of a response you'll get. So that's why we do like a thousand or you can even do ten thousand or more. Um, when you're using formulas, um, the accuracy is, is affected by the sample size. So and you'll notice, like in all the formulas, as the sample size, as n increases, the standard error, sort of the error in your sample statistic, is going to go down because you have more information. Um, so the larger your sample size, the more accurate. Um, so yeah, and this basically just says that, again, regardless of what approach you take, the results, the p-values should be the same. And this is, OK, so this is what we. Um, Covered, do I have? Oh, yeah. So if a bootstrap sampling distribution is approximately normally distributed, what can we write? Um, what's sort of the notation that we would use to describe the bootstrap sampling distribution? Don't look up the answer, though. I already have that. I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's on the slides. Yeah. Brittany? D, why D? Well, not not anymore. Oh, well, well, I just wait because bootstrapping gives you standard error, not standard deviation, so that knocks out the first two. Okay, very good. Yes, very good. So, um, so again, so this one would be um, the uh, if for this example over here, where if you did it just truly went to the population, did multiple samples. The, the, the mean would be the population parameter. But if you're pulling from your observed sample, 
the mean is going to be the sample statistic. And so um, a lot of, of the second half of the class has been doing inference, which is, which is, um, which is confidence intervals and hypothesis tests. And so this is the, the formula that we've been using. And then this is for hypothesis testing. So like, clearly this is like a core formula, but it changes for every type of scenario where we have one, a single mean, uh, or a single quantitative variable, or a single categorical variable. So it's good to know this, but yeah. So like, because we can't use the thing, will you give us like the C? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yep. Um, the only one that you should know is that, um, you know, two standard deviations away from, yeah, that's the only thing that okay. I would expect you to know. So, um, so these are sort of the core formulas, but it's, it's critical that you kind of know how they are um, adapted for each scenario. And again, this is why with, with bootstrapping, you don't have to do any of these formulas. You can just, the computer will simulate it. And so that's sort of why a lot of people would prefer bootstrapping, just simply because it's intuitive. You see what the actual distribution of values are. Whereas this, you're kind of like, okay, now what type of variable am I working with, and what am I testing? And so it's, it's just more confusing. Um, but this is sort of historically how it's been done and how it's typically taught. So you have uh, test statistics, and I think we've kind of hammered this in, but a, a test statistic is the observed sample statistic you use when conducting a hypothesis test or a confidence interval. So whenever it talks about test statistic, it's sort of the, the statistic that the value of your sample that you're most interested in, that you've calculated from your sample. Um, and you're, with hypothesis tests, you're testing to see how unusual it would be to get this value by random chance if the null was true. So that's sort of why the term test statistic is there, because you have a hypothesis, you're wanting to test that hypothesis, so you you get a sample, and then you calculate what the statistic is for that sample, and you test to see how unusual it would be to get that type of value if the, if the null hypothesis was true, like if there actually was no effect or no difference. Uh, and then through the hypothesis test, you determine the probability of getting a value as extreme as your test statistic when the null is true. And then sort of, um, like I, I'll say like the first half of the class, we just simply, we get a test statistic and, and the value would just be some random value that I'll say was unstandardized. Um, and so you couldn't really compare one test statistic with another. But then what we learned was you can take whatever your test statistic is and standardize it so that you can easily and quickly compare it um, to other test statistics or to to the, to the different distributions that we have. And so that's when we sort of transition to always doing the standardized test statistic. And, and that's like the Z statistic and the T statistic. It basically takes whatever your test statistic is. So like if your sample mean is six, then it just, it standardizes it. And the way it does that is by subtracting the null value, which often is zero, and dividing by the standard error. And the standard error is the thing that we're looking for, is the thing that 
that either we can get through bootstrap sampling distribution or through the formulas. And so then the, the Z statistic is, is the number of standard errors and observed sample statistic is from the null value. So it's when we, when we learned um, Z scores, it's, uh, this is sort of an application of that, whereas you have your test statistic, and when it's standardized, you know if it's more than two standard deviations from the mean, then it's going to be um, greater than the 5% the threshold. Do you have a question? So yeah, all of these sort of um, chi-squared, T-statistic, um, F-statistic, and Z-statistic are all standardized. Because what is basically, it's, it's taking your sample statistic, which is a random number and random units, and it sort of puts it in just a standardized number. So that's why um, you can kind of know if, if, your, uh, if your standardized test statistic is greater than the value 2, it's probably going to be significant because all of them have been standardized to be um, so that you can compare them across each other. So you're basically kind of converting whatever your test statistic is into <coughs> sort of a standard number that so you can. So if you're doing a study on um, what is your study on uh, happiness or no? Homosexual. Hom homosexual attitudes about homosexual activity. Um, you'll get a, a, a T statistic for a, um, a variable that's uh, 4.8. And when McKay's doing her study on happiness, she's going to get a T statistic for a variable that's 5.6. Even though you're studying completely different things, you're, we've standardized our test statistics. So, you know, or let, let's say that. You were t you looked at um, you were looking at happy both of you were looking at happiness as an outcome, and you were uh, looking at uh, marriage as a function of happiness, and McKay was looking at age as a function of happiness, and your T statistic was like 48, and your T statistic was three. You could that allows you to compare, like, wow, hers is, she has much, much stronger evidence that marriage is, is associated with happiness, whereas yours is evidence that where we reject the null, but it's, it's not nearly as strong as what she has. So that's where the, the standardized test statistic allows, it just sort of puts it into a standard number that can be compared across tests. So um, one thing to note on, on your review slides, which isn't in there, which you'll sort of need to, to add, is um, I, I gave you the chart of all the different um, ways to calculate the standard error for each of those um, scenarios. What I, what I didn't do was um, put in sort of what the, what the sort of estimation of that is. So on, on the chart, what I noticed was it has P, which is the population proportion, or, and it'll have mu, which is like the population mean, and the values that we're sort of estimating the standard error to be is, is our sample proportion um, and like our sample means and things like that. So you just want to make sure, 
Like, just don't say, oh, I got all the formulas, I'm set. You kind of need to know, okay, you know, I, I won't have the, po I typically won't have the population proportion, but I know that, um, that a, a close equivalent to the standard error, or our best estimation of it, is using like the sample proportion. And, and this just sort of illustrates, again, what we talked about, of increasing sample size decreases um, the standard error. So this sort of shows you visually, if you just have a sample size of, N, uh, of 10, you have this level of standard error. Um, but if you increase it to 100, standard error goes down, and again, 1,000, and so on. It'll, it'll, it'll continue to pull um, the amount of uncertainty you have about your your test statistic down lower and lower. That's why, like, with the GSS, you know, it's like some of you have sample sizes of 50,000, so your, your standard error is super, super low because they have tons of information um, in that data set. Okay, so um, this is sort of the core of what we've learned is doing confidence intervals and hypothesis tests for all these different scenarios. And what I want to do um, for the second part here is actually go into the GSS and run <coughs> some of these tests. So um, we can just sort of walk through that together. McKay created a variable on here. Maybe her tutor helped her some. Um, but it's called happy1. And um, the, the benefit of happy1 is that as there you go. Look what she did. So she, um, her and her tutor, created the variable called happy1, which basically takes the variable that we've been looking at called happy and puts it in an in intuitive order. So the value 1 is, is related to being not happy. The value 2 is related to being somewhat happy. And then 3 is very happy. So as sort of the value of the happy variable goes up, happiness goes up. So um, if we were going to calculate, so, so this is what's called an ordered categorical variable. And it's, it's a, a helpful variable because it can be treated when needed. It can be treated as a quantitative variable. So in a sense, you can, you know, one uh, means little happiness and three means an increase in happiness. So like, so you can think of it, there's a, there's a trend to the category. So if we, um, if we were going to find the confidence interval, so this is the, the proportion of people um, that, you know, these, this is a categorical variable, um, and we want to find the confidence interval for the proportion of people that are very happy. How would we do that? So this is so. Walk me through. Do you have an idea, Chris? You guys are just very happy, so you're like seven eighty four. Okay. Is it divided by the total? Well, so this is where um, there's a formula yeah, oh yeah. Um, for um, calculating the confidence interval, and we'll say that the ninety five percent confidence interval. Well, give me give me the um, the formula first, just so uh, I can. Uh, sample statistic plus or minus the star times uh, standard error. Okay. And that is equal to, you want me to tell you the other, the other real proportion, like what it's equal to? So like sample proportion plus or minus C star times. 
So it would be p hat, yeah, p hat plus or minus. And then we want the ninth, oh yeah, we'll do z star time. And then what's? Yeah, the square root of that p hat, and then parentheses 1 minus p hat, and then divided by n. And is that divided, is the square root over the whole formula, or just the? Plug in the numbers. So we want for 95%. Oh, for this, will this be 9.16784.2? Well, so we want the the proportion. Uh, so does that mean 33.3? Or do you have to divide it? So we know that there's 50,000 people, or 50,423 people in the sample, and we know that 16,784 are very happy. So wouldn't it just be the proportion of 33.3? Is that the proportion of how many people are happy? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. And so but a thing to remember, um, a proportion, all the proportions added together will equal 1. So the proportion for this, for very happy, would actually be 0.33. So, because if you put in 33, your number is going to be off. So we have 0.33. So and if, if you notice right here, it says uh, column percent. So this, it says the cells contain column percent and weighted n. So you can, you know, you, you could do the math if you wanted to, um, or if you sort of are familiar with interpreting these tables, then it can help you. So 0.33 plus or minus, and it's 95% confidence interval. Uh-huh. And then 1 minus divided by what? But we want to know the, um, so what is n? Yes, the sample size. Chelsea? Sample size. So what's the what's the sample size of this? Um, okay. Yep. So, and this is important because, um, I mean, the, what we're actually looking at is what's the proportion of the sample that's very happy. So it would be incorrect to pick the n of just that group if you put in 16,000. Could you put the 16,784.2 for the top one instead of 0.33, or can you not do that? Well, 16,000 is, is the number of people okay. that are very happy, whereas 0.33 is the proportion. <clears throat> and then, so, and then you could do the math yeah. to calculate that out. So um, let's see if I have it on here. Go back and do it. Um, so if we ran it again, and we had the same, actually, I took out the weights. But um, so because this is an ordered categorical variable, um, the the summary statistics have meaning. Like they actually like the mean and the median and the mode. You can actually interpret them uh, in a meaningful way. And so if we look at this and we want to know, um, on average, people in America, um, what's, their, what's, what's the average level of happiness for people in America? How would you answer that just looking at this? So what's, what's the mean value for the distribution of values on, of, on happiness? Okay. okay. So what, is, what does that mean? in light of the variables. 
Or we're talking average, not like uh, majority sounds more like proportion, right? Yeah. So on so what's the average happiness level? Oh. Okay, it's actually you because it's two point two two. It's between somewhat happy and very happy. Um, a little bit, you know, if if you had to pick it, it would be pretty close to somewhat happy, um, but a little bit a little bit more than somewhat happy. And so this is important to understand um, because a lot of the variables that we're working with are ordered categorical. And so that's the way that you would interpret it, um, is you look at the mean, it says 2.2, and then you go back up to your variables and you're like, okay, where does that fit on that continuum? So then um, if we wanted to calculate, let's see if we can do this with this, the confidence interval for the mean level of happiness for people in in the U.S. How would we how would we do that? What's the formula? What would be the formula for that? You want to try it, Chelsea? Sorry, would you get a question? Oh, what what what's the so we have our our point estimate of the mean level of happiness, which is 2.2. What's the confidence interval um, for that point estimate? Like, how how confident are we that? the average American is 2.2 on the happiness scale. Uh, that would be like a regression equation. So um, so it's the, the confidence interval for a single mean. How would it be that? Standard deviation. Yep. Definitely have your symbol, know your symbols, because yeah. they'll be, I mean, just so you know. Um, is it, is it sensitive? What? Okay, but what, and so, um, so yeah, so that is, that's the standard deviation for the sample mean, and so you put, what was it, 0.63, and then divided by the square root of what? 48,751. Uh-huh. So, so this gives you sort of, so in a sense I could ask a question that says, what's the confidence interval for a particular proportion, um, or using the same variable, um, because it's an ordered categorical, I could say, what's um, the confidence interval for the sample mean? And, and, I would, and if I asked for, like, what's the sample mean, um, I'd want it to be interpreted. Like, I, it, it isn't helpful to just say um, it's 2.2, but it's, it's basically saying the average person is between somewhat happy and very happy. That's what because if I say, what's the happiness level of the average person, if you just said 2.2, I'd be like, what does that mean? You'd have to say, it's between somewhat happy and very happy. It's sort of the interpretation of it. Um, so, so that's with single proportion, single means. If we expand it and we say, so we want to look at happiness, and let's also look at race. And, and I'm actually, we're just going to be interested in um, black and white people to make it statistically simple. This is an example of two categorical, yeah. Um, so this is um, two categorical variables, but this variable happiness has, has a unique feature where it can actually, if needed, be treated like a quantitative variable. So then if I asked you guys, what's, what, um, what proportion of white people in the U.S. are not happy? 
are, oh yeah, yeah, are not happy. And I just I say not happy because that's what what one of the categories is. So the proportion of white people uh, in the U.S. who are not happy. So five. So and what that what is that? That's saying. So a, a big thing to sort of remember is that there's counts, which is sort of the actual number of people who responded a certain way. <coughs> and then there's proportions, which are sort of the, the number of people divided by the total number of people um, that were in your sample. So do you want to give a revised answer? So it's OK, so it would be 5,000. 59 divided by what? Okay, and so what is that telling us? Where, this number 5,659, what, what, what is that? The number of people who what? Uh-huh. And then the 46,000 is what? Okay, and I want to know the proportion of white people who are not happy. Okay. So it'd be, we're going to revise our answer uh, to 40. And what would it be over? Okay. So, so what Chelsea gave us was the proportion of people in the U.S., all people in the U.S., black and white, who are not happy. And what Chelsea and Chris gave us was the proportion of white people who are not happy. And so we could also then, and if you look, it does the math for you right there. It's point, point 0.096. Uh, so right here, these values, if you look, uh, the cell contains the column percent. So it gives you the percent of white people um, who are not happy, percent of white people who are somewhat happy and then very happy. <clears throat> um, so then, okay, the last one I'll do with this is what proportion, what proportion of very, let's see, you know, it, it, I give you this type of information so that you would answer, but um, let's see, if I, if I ask you what proportion of, um, let's see, I'm just going to get a, a question that would get at what I'm looking for. So what would be the proportion of um, black people who are very happy? And so that comes out to, the thing that I, um, I'm trying to do is these, these values will work in one direction, but they won't work if you're asking for like the opposite. Like, you know, because there's a difference between the proportion of very happy people who are black in the proportion of black people who are very happy. Does that make sense? So we want to look at, oh yeah, what, what proportion, okay, that's what it is. Okay, listen. What proportion of very happy people are black? So it'd be 1,470 divided by 14,833. Yes. So this is, this is important, and this is, I think, even on the first exam, people got tripped up. So we want to know the proportion of very happy people who are black. So a way to, to think about this is the, the population that we're starting with is 
the total number of very happy people. So that's why it would be 14,833. So, and then we want to know what proportion of these people are black. And so then it would, what was it, 1470? So you divide 1470 by 14,833. So does that, um, so it's important to sort of think through what is, what is the question asking because there's a lot of different combinations. Um, so then if we wanted to look at, so then if we wanted to say, okay, um, uh, what's, what's the difference in proportion of uh, white people who are happy compared to the proportion of black people who are, uh, we'll say, not happy? Let's see. What's the, so the difference in proportion of black people who are not happy compared to white people, the proportion of white people who are not happy. P hat, white people not happy minus P hat, black people not happy. So what is, what, if, if we want to know that, what's our, what's our um, sample statistic, or what are the values? <coughs> 1,338. Over 6,670. Yep, exactly. So, and then, that's 9.6 minus 19.9. So, this is the proportion of white people who are not happy is in the right notation. Does that make sense? So, the proportion of white people who are not happy is 0 0.096, whereas the proportion of black people who are not happy is 0.199. So the difference in proportions is negative 0.13. I want to know the confidence interval. So this is our, this is our sample statistic, our point estimate. 0.10, okay, thanks. So this is a, a point estimate for the difference of proportion of people who are of black people who are not happy compared to white people who are not happy. If we wanted to do a confidence interval for that point estimate, how would we do it? We didn't have, like, on this, but I missed it. I, like, wrote them all down. I didn't have the uh, calculus, calculating confidence intervals for two proportions. Was that on here? Because I didn't have it on It would be oh, on the, ch the chart, definitely. Uh-huh. So. So, yeah, I mean, so, but, so the, the way you would do this, you'd be like, okay, wait, I'm looking at a difference in proportions, and I want to know the confidence interval, so I would need to find the, um, the formula for that, and I think I'll pull up. So this, the, the, what the chart gives you is, is the standard error. So um, for difference in proportions, the, the key thing, like <clears throat> P1 would be, proportion of white people who are not happy, N1 would be the number of white people, P2 would be the proportion of black people who are not happy, and N2 would be the total number of black people. So then um, the same would be if we, if we wanted to do a, um, a hypothesis test, sort of using the same, same process. So if, if, someone, if there was a theory out there that said um, black people uh, because of, of um, 
sort of structural inequalities, uh, African American, black people carry a lot more um, psychological um, uh, constraints just because of the, the greater pressures and, and obstacles they face. So they're going to be, on average, less happy than white people. Um, so if we wanted to look at, let's see if this does this. Okay, so if um, so this is where it might be might get a little tricky is say there's a, a theory out there that says that on average um, black people are just going to be less happy than white people because of of um, structural inequalities that sort of are biased against black people. So we want to so we want to test that hypothesis that says that um, on average or sort of the mean level of happiness of black people is going to be less than the mean level of happiness of white people. How would we use this data to calculate the mean level, on average, the happiness level of black people is going to be lower than the average happiness level of white people. So what's the, the mean happiness of white people? 2.25. And the mean happiness of black people? Oh, four. Okay. So, and then, so then the difference in means is 0.21. So, do you guys see how how Brittany got that? She just said, what's the, the mean? Because this is an ordered categorical variable. You can say the mean level of happiness for white people is 2.25. The mean level of happiness for black people is 2.04. And so then you can do a hypothesis test that looks at the difference in means between white people and black people. And so what would be the null hypothesis? Okay, so x bar white equals x bar black. And the alternative would be? Yeah, you could do either one. But you would just sort of, your written version of the hypothesis would have to reflect that. Um, so then the last one that I want to walk through is where we do the regression of the same thing. Uh, analysis. So we'll say. So this is the regression for this. And what you would need to be, so this is basically saying, in what way is race? being black or white associated with happiness. And what it's saying is, is that uh, race is negatively uh, associated with happiness. And what that's saying is, is going from sort of the, the first, uh, a, a one unit increase in race um, leads to a decline in happiness. And so if you think about it, um, the, the first unit that we're looking at is white people, like the categories. And if you do a, a one unit increase to uh, in the category of race, which means going from white to black, the happiness level drops by negative 0.21, if that makes. Um, but what you would need to do is be able to calculate or to write the regression equation for the relationship between race and happiness. Like beta hat, so let's say happiness equals, or predicted happiness equals. 
Value for race uh, one, yeah, yeah. So in one relates to um, white people. Um, so another, or let's see, yeah. In, in an example where I where it's probably better than using race, we'll say education. Um, if I said um, a person had one unit increase in education how much would their happiness increase? Or if I said, you know, if someone has 15 years of education, what's their predicted happiness level? If we did, if we did that type of... Um, and then two, I think there's nothing on ANOVA at all. Nothing on ANOVA. Is that good, or did you... <laughs> no, that's great. I'm not looking for that. <laughs> uh, here's what I meant to do. So education. So. You could look at this and say, you would, you would need to be able to calculate what the regression equation is for this. And I could easily say, if a person has um, 13 years of education, what's their predicted happiness level? And you would need to be able to, to calculate. So that would be like 1.978 plus 0 0.019 times 13. Uh, for B, uh, let's see, no. So it's calculating the common center for the slope. You would need to know that the only, the one that I that you won't need is the confidence, like like the lower and upper bound. Yeah, yeah, you won't need to. Well, no, that one you can. If I I would give you all that information, information. Okay. like I would I give you um, I would give you the confidence interval, so you could do the lower bound like and upper bound. Oh. But but I think the key, I mean, this is what I'm seeing. Like, this is stuff that you're doing for the final project, and it's helpful to know how to interpret what's, what you're seeing on GSS. So if you're going to focus on things, it would be sort of the exercises we've done with the GSS. Okay.